right, tonight we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, the title was Worthy of God's Calling. I'm going to start by reading all 12 verses that we have before us, and then I'll pray and we'll get started. Verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer." Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray for, always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, we thank you, Lord, um, that we've been able to study through First Thessalonians, Lord, and we've been able to see, Lord, um, your tender, loving care, Lord, through um, how Paul ministered to these new and young believers, Lord, who um, faced suffering, Lord, and who had lots of questions, Lord, um, a lot of the similar questions maybe that we have um, even today, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, that we're, as we're able to read his second letter, Lord, that you will just reveal more of your heart um, to us in this, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, that you would just go before us, Lord, that you would just prepare our hearts for what you have to say to us, God, that you would just get me out of the way, Lord, and um, and just speak to these women, Lord, in a way that, that you desire to. We love you so much. In your precious name, amen. All right, so we just finished one book, and we only have one book left, and then we have summertime, <laughs> which is exciting. But our um, the first book that we went through, First Thessalonians, um, the, that first letter, um, Paul wrote to them, and there was only what's to be known as a few months, maybe even a year after receiving their first letter, Paul and uh, presumably maybe even Silas and Timothy, as he mentions in the beginning of the letter, they hear about how this young church is yet again facing persecution, and this time they're facing it even worse than the first. I think it's important to, to note that the word of God shares with us that Paul only wrote a second time to a few audiences. There's first and second Timothy, right? First and second Corinthians, and then we see now first and second Thessalonians. And I believe this allows us to see how much he cared for their young walk and what they were walking through and just how neat to see that he kept checking in on them. I believe in that same way that Paul 
was somebody in the Thessalonians um, life that um, was almost like a spiritual leader to them, that God uniquely puts people in our lives as spiritual, maybe older sisters or even spiritual mothers. My first question to you is, do you have women in your life like that? And if so, are you listening to what God may be very well speaking through them? And if you don't, pray and the Lord will provide it for you. Um, there's been a lot of times in my life where I've asked God, God, why aren't you, why aren't you providing this for me? Why aren't you providing this, this type of friend for me or this type of um, spiritual leader? Um, and then I sit back and I think I never asked God for it. Um, and not that he doesn't provide for us, but, you know, his, his word does say you have not because you ask not. Um, so it's really important to have people like that in your life. And th those women that I do have in my life, I know that they push me closer to the feet of Jesus. They challenge me to love him and others more. And they even gently rebuke me when I need it. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Paul was this for the Thessalonian church. He not only bore their burdens, but also motivated them to walk closer and learn more about Christ even through the difficult trials that they face. We see more about this in our study today. Paul, through the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit that abides in us, used wisdom in his influential speech towards others. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one, says Colossians 4, 6. And Ephesians 4.29 likewise says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. As we continue through the beginning of this letter, we see Paul very similarly commends this group of young believers on how they're walking through the persecution that they are facing, as he did in the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, but this time he uses even stronger language, which that made me think... They must have been facing something even tougher this time. So we're going to read through verses 1 through 4 again. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that, so that we all so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tri tribulations that you endure. Paul thanks God for three things that this young church was doing well, and I believe that we can learn from this and evaluate our own lives to see if we are showing any of this fruit too. The first thing he thanks, them, thanks God for is a growing faith. He says, because your faith grows exceedingly. Despite their suffering amidst their persecution, the Thessalonians were found to be growing in their faith. Warren Wiersbe says this, an easy life can lead to a shallow faith. The great women and men of faith that we see in Hebrews 11 all suffered in one way or another or faced tremendous obstacles so that their faith would grow. Paul had prayed that their faith may be perfected, and now he was thanking God for an answered prayer. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you want your faith to be matured? I do. And if we do, we must not be surprised when tribulation comes our way. The Lord certainly allows us to walk through difficulties to strengthen our faith, our faith and to equip us for his callings. The second thing that he mentions is they have a love that overflows. He says that the love of every one of you abounds towards each other. Paul also commends them for having a love that spilled out onto others during their discomfort. They could have very well allowed this persecution to hold them back from loving others, but instead it further motivated them to love more deeply, to be compassionate. What is your normal response to walking through trials? Is it self-pity? Is it isolation? Is it depression? Or is it abounding in love towards others? Is it a joy unexpressible? Is it a peace that floods your heart? Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us continue, or let us consider how to spur on one, one another to love and good deeds. And Jesus also told us, right, the greatest, one of the greatest commandments is what? To love one another. I also found a verse in Acts that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, we know that Paul went through a lot of really, really scary things throughout um, his life and his service to Jesus. And he says this in Acts 20:19 that he served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by plots against the or of the Jews. So you even see there, Paul. He served with humility. He, he still poured out his heart and his love. You think of what he did when he was in the prisons. But he also served with tears too. So I likewise want to say that I don't think that when we're going through hard times that it's necessarily we're going to run around you know, with, with joy. Just, aren't you so happy you're going through that? But you might shed some tears, and, and that's okay, um, just as we see what Paul said in Acts 20. Third, we see that he commends them for having a living testimony. He says that they, he boasted of you, of you among the churches of God for their patience and faith in all their persecutions and the tribulations that they endured. Here we see that Paul was boasting to other churches, to other believers, about what they were going through because they were going through it in a way that glorified God. We can really stand out for Christ if we walk through difficult times in a God-honoring way. The Lord can use us so much more powerfully as his vessels if we live lives that are set apart. Um, I believe it was last year, because it wasn't the first year that I taught at ACS, but yeah, I, it was last year, that the verse was Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. And when they said that that was our verse for the year, which I'm don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that was the verse from, from last year. And I'm going to read it in a minute. But when they said the verse, I real, it was a verse that I was like, oh, that's, that's a nice verse. <laughs> I like that one. Um, but it, it wasn't a verse that I, that I necessarily clung to or really understood. You know how sometimes you can read a verse in one season, and you're like, oh, yeah, that was good. Thank you, God. But then you read it in another season, and you're like, okay, God, that I understand that verse a whole lot different right now. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be a like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. 
Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a, in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. When our eyes and hearts are fixed on our Savior, when we, are in fact plant, when, we in, when we in fact plant ourselves like that tree talked about in Jeremiah 17, we can tr truly have a growing faith, love that abounds, and a beautiful God-honoring testimony during trials. So let me ask you, what sets you apart from the world when you are going through a trial? Can you say that your faith is growing, that your love is abounding, and that your life is a testimony right now? Even if you aren't working through a persecution or a trial or a hard time, constantly as believers, the world is not for us. It's not for you. So you are walking through a trial. You are walking through something hard. So technically, we're always in a battle. As the verses continue in, in this chapter, we see that Paul switches the focus from encouragement of praise to the encouragement of things eternal, which seems to be like the theme for 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, which I love that now too. My dad is going through Revelation on Sunday mornings. So verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Paul shares that not only was he proud of how they were growing and walking victoriously through their trials, but also shares that it is evidence of God's righteous judgment and that they will be reckoned worthy. David Guzik shares this, We usually think that God is absent when we suffer and that our suffering calls God's righteous judgment into question. Paul took the exact opposite position and insisted that the Thessalonians' suffering was evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Where suffering is coupled with righteous endurance, God's work is done. The fires of persecution and tribulation were like the purifying fires of a refiner, burning away the dross from the gold, bringing forth a pure and precious metal. What a different mindset to have through our struggles. A prayer that we could have could be maybe, Lord, help me to remember that your desire is to refine me through trials, not ruin me. The enemy wants to invade your thoughts and make you question the Lord for what he is allowing to happen in your life right now. Don't let him win. I believe Philippians 1, 27 through 30 does a beautiful job at joining together the previous verse we just read in 2 Thessalonians. Actually, I'm not going to read verse 30, so Philippians 1, 27 through 29. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I come and see you and only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one from the faith of gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So I think this job does a really beautiful job joining together the previous verse that, that I just read in verse 5 in 2 Thessalonians, in the first chapter with verses 6 and 7 now um, in 2 Thessalonians, right after it says, Since it is a righteous thing that God will repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you, or, you who are troubled rest, when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 
Part of God's righteous judgment, his vengeance, is to deal with those who have not chosen to walk in step with him, those who have not accepted the good news of Jesus, but instead chose to bask in their sinfulness. I believe that Paul includes this because part of the persecution that the church may have been facing was brought about by unbelievers. Paul wanted to remind them that God indeed will deal with those who troubled them, and it was not for them to deal with themselves. This is a great reminder to us as well. God will indeed repay evil for evil and rightly judge it because this is what he has promised. So remember, the next time that you want to battle it out with whoever is causing you difficulty in your life, God will deal with them. You must remember that you are accountable to God for the way that you respond. Not the way that they respond to you, but the way that you respond. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we want our lives to be a living testimony, if we really want to be kingdom-minded and worthy of his calling, then we must take heed to this verse. Look again at what is promised in verse 7 in 2 Thessalonians. What is promised to us as believers is rest. God promises us rest, and it's not temporary rest, it's eternal rest. This rest will not be complete here on earth. As you see what it says in the verse, it says that he will give those who are troubled rest with the Lord Jesus Christ when he is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So we will receive this rest in full when Jesus returns. Not only this, but Paul reminds him that because of their belief in Christ, not only do they gain rest, but they gain rest with God. While we, who are believe, while we who believe are experiencing the fullness of God's presence and rest with him when he comes, those who do, who do not believe will be experiencing something on the contrary. Verses 8 through 10 say, In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and, and the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Those that do not come to faith, that do not choose Christ's saving grace, will not experience the goodness of God's presence or the glory of his power when he comes. When I was reading those verses, what sounded scary to me right away was the, the taking fire and vengeance. <laughs> But then I really sat down and I looked at the verses and I said, what's even scarier is that they don't get to be with God, that, they, that they're forever with the enemy. And we know that the Lord will destroy the enemy, but just to be separated from God, that's even scarier than the fire. Let me remind you, though, of what God's heart is for those that are unbelievers. Ezekiel 33, 11 says... 
Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Jesus desires all to come to repentance. So as Christians, we should have this heart as well. In contrast, verse 10 reminds the believers what we get to experience when Christ comes, that together with other believers, we get to stand in all of our creator and all that he has done for us. We get to experience the fullness of his holiness, his glory, and all that he has prepared for us. Let me ask you, have you ever viewed the trial maybe that you're facing now or maybe a trial that you're going to face in the future or even maybe something that you're holding on and harboring from the past? Have you ever viewed your, your trial and the reality of that and the reality of the fact that one day you get to be forever with your king? forever, eternally. Paul now shifts the focus from the encouragement of praise, and then he shifted it to the encouragement of things eternal, and now he shifts it to the encouragement of prayer in verses 11 and 12. It says, Therefore we also pray for you always that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul ends this first chapter in reminding the Thessalonian believers that he will indeed continue to pray for them. He wasn't naive to think that when this persecution ended that more would come in the future. I want to ask you how faithful are you in your prayer life for others? Are you just faithful in your prayer life for yourself? Are you faithful in your prayer life for those that you love and care for? Are you faithful in your prayer life for those that persecute you? And are you faithful in your prayer life for people who don't believe that you know? Maybe it's coworkers, family. Paul was such an amazing spiritual leader, like we talked about earlier, that he desired even people that he didn't know and love for their walks and their lives to be changed. But for the Thessalonian church, he had this heart for them and a desire that they, what it says in that, the end of that verse, fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and power. Paul ends with this phrase in the last half of verse 12, and I believe it's probably one of the most important parts of this chapter. It's this phrase, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. You may have thought at some point in this study, that sounds really lovely, everything you're saying. Growing in my faith, abounding in love, having a really good testimony, praying for others, going to heaven, having rest, that all sounds good. But how do I do that? when I'm walking through this? How do I treat this person, fill in the blank, when they have done this? And our weakness, your weakness, my weakness, wants us to think that we can't do any of the things that were listed in this text, that we can't grow in our faith, that our love can't abound, that we can't have a testimony. But Paul recognized that, guess what, we can't? You can't. Only God can. 
And Paul recognized that nothing can be done apart from God's grace through Jesus. And it's the grace of God that surely allows for us to experience the peace of God, like mentioned at the very beginning, when we walk through times of persecution and trials. It is in fact the grace of God that helps us to grow in our faith when we face trials, for our love to abound when we face trials, and for our lives to be a living testimony to not only those who are saved, but those who are unsaved when we walk through times of persecution. So if you're doing really well in all these things, I want to say that is amazing. And, and I'm proud of you, and the Lord is even prouder. And I want to encourage you with this verse. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for we shall reap a harvest if we do not give up. This life, like you've probably heard it from many different people, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. A sprint you can see, and the end goal is right in front of you. A marathon, sometimes you got to take a lot of turns to get to the end. And maybe you need a lot of help in these areas tonight, like me. I need a lot of areas in all, I need a lot of help in all these areas tonight. And if you do, maybe this verse will encourage you. It's Hebrews 4, 16. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in a time of need. Let's pray.